Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Let's turn in your Bibles tonight to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read the first two verses of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. So last week we opened our new series called Rebuild. This is a 52-day walk through the book of Nehemiah. The reason that it is 52 days is because the Bible tells us that it took Nehemiah 52 days to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. After the, the wonderful golden years of the King David and King Solomon, trouble fell upon Israel, and 300 years before Nehemiah was born, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and everyone who lived there, everyone who lived in Judah and in Israel, were taken up by the Babylonians who had conquered them 800 miles away to live in Babylon, which then was conquered by Persia. So Nehemiah is now a slave, but he is a slave with a really good job. He is the cupbearer to the king. He sits at the king's table as a taste tester to make sure that there is no poison in his food, and yet he has this relationship with the king. Last week, we talked about a report that Nehemiah heard because he knew that there were groups of individuals that were starting to come down from Persia to return back to the holy city of Jerusalem to rebuild this community after 300 years of no Jewish people living in Jerusalem. There was this movement to return grace and goodness and holiness to that holy city. He hears about this. His friends come up and his friends say, it's not going well. They tell him that the walls of Jerusalem are torn down and worn down and Nehemiah's heart breaks. His heart is broken. We talked last week about two really important questions as we watch God rebuild Nehemiah's purpose. And the two questions were this. We asked, what breaks your heart? What are the things in your life that wake up your compassion? What are the things that make you want to move towards a solution to care for people? What breaks your heart? For Nehemiah, the answer to the question was the destruction of Jerusalem broke his heart. And then question number two was, what is your kingdom-centric purpose? I don't believe that God has a you-centered purpose for your life. I believe he has a kingdom-centric purpose for your life. And for Nehemiah, the answer to question one became the answer to question number two, that if his thing that broke his heart was the destruction of Jerusalem, his kingdom-centric purpose was the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. Jerusalem was an unprotected city. It could never thrive and survive until it was a protected city. And so Nehemiah discovers that that is his purpose. God has rebuilt his purpose. I hope that this week you have been thoughtful about your 
kingdom-centric purpose, about what it is that God has designed for you to do, the purpose that he has given to you. You know, for me, I'm, I'm someone who, I've been a full-time pastor for 16 years, but when I think about my kingdom-centric purpose, I think about it like this. It's like the walls are built, the structure's there, but I, I am still looking to God on a daily basis to fill in the details. Lord, what, what is the purpose that you would have for me? What would you have me do today? Where should I focus my attention? God, what conversation would you bring light to me that I should be paying attention to today that God would continue to define and refine my kingdom-centric purpose? And I hope that he's doing that for you as well. I hope that these 52 days are days that are revolutionary for you. If there is something that, that maybe a moment of clarity that you've had this week, I would love to hear about it. Catch me after service send me an email or a text and let me know what God is speaking to you about your purpose. I believe that part of the rebuilding of 2022 is for God to rebuild your kingdom-centric purpose. Well, this week, we're now going to turn the page. And we're going to turn the page from Nehemiah chapter 1 into Nehemiah chapter 2. And when we turn the page, there's some time that passes. And it's more than just the seven days between last Wednesday and this Wednesday. And here's how we figure that out. So you probably have forgotten, but uh, Nehemiah chapter one actually opens with the writer of Nehemiah telling us what month it is. He opens chapter one by saying, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev. So they operated by the Gregorian calendar and the month of Kislev is like November, December. So he opens chapter one and says, hey, it's about November, December here. Well, when he opens chapter two that we just read, he tells us again what month it is. And he says, early in the following spring in the month of Nisan. And so that month is like April. So it's been about six months from chapter one to chapter two. And, and think about this. So last week we know that Nehemiah got this bad news and how did it affect him? He was heartbroken and devastated and he cried and he fasted and prayed. And we didn't really get a timeline last week for how long that period of Nehemiah's life lasted. And when we read the first verse of chapter two, we realize, whoa, it's, it's been a while. It's been six months and nothing else in Nehemiah's life has changed except for what's happening in his heart. In that six months, he is praying and fasting and his heart is mourning for the destruction of Jerusalem's walls, but yet he has yet to take the first step. I want you to imagine that you've got a close friend who's in a dating relationship and they call you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and they say, it's all over, uh, the relationship is dead, I can't go on. And they're devastated and heartbroken. And so you being the good friend that you are, you say something really kind. You say, I'm so sorry. It's going to get better. Well, the next day at 10 a.m. in the morning, they call back and they say the exact same thing. They're heartbroken. They're devastated. They can't imagine living without this person. They can't go on. And you, again, a very patient and compassionate person, you say the same thing. I'm so sorry. It's going to get better. Well, now let's imagine that they then call the next day and every single day for six months. Do you keep answering the phone? So good news, your heavenly father is merciful. He always answers the phone. But here Nehemiah is, and he's 
stuck. I mean, I, I, I want to give him respect. I don't want to be condescending to the timeline. He needed this time. I think in this six months, God is doing an amazing work in his heart. I think during this six months, God is rewiring him. You know, when it started off, his purpose was to be the cupbearer to a earthly king, and now his purpose is to be the son of a heavenly king. He is redefining, rebuilding his purpose But in this six months, his heart has been repositioned, but his feet have not moved. He is having trouble turning his ambition into action. I think there are thousands of Christians who spend a long time in their life with a purpose, but living without action. They find themselves stuck where their heart is broken and they have had an internal change, but they are outwardly frozen in place. I had a roommate in college. Uh, We shared a room and we also shared a name because our uh, dorm director thought it'd be really hilarious to put two Dans in the same room. So the Dan, the Dan that's not me, um, he's now a lead pastor and a husband and a father Uh, But when he was 19, his relationship game was not great. So (laughs) there was this girl, and Dan was desperately, passionately in love with her. He knew that that she was going to be his future wife. She was his Sherry Brooks, and he just knew this is how it was going to be. But if you've ever known young Christian people... We can get a little weird when it comes to dating. And so he decided that, that he wasn't going to date her and that he was just going to not rush God's timing. He was just going to pray about this. He was going to hang out with her in groups, but never one-on-one. And he was just going to pray and that God was just going to make this miracle happen, but he was not going to date her. Well, time goes on. It keeps going on week by week, and things just get weirder and stranger. Like, he's, he's thinking about this all the time. He can't sleep. He can't focus. It's all we ever talk about. At some point, I remember him coming into the dorm room, and he's like, Dan, I can't do it anymore. I can't sleep. I can't focus. I'm going to go break up with her. And it's like, I was like hey, 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 slow, slow down, man. So, so dude, there's this funny rule with dating, and here, here's how it goes. You can't break up with someone that you're not dating. And he was, he was stuck. His heart had moved, but he didn't know how to make the first step. He was stuck, and he could not figure out how to turn his ambition into action. Nehemiah needed to turn his ambition into action. God had re-aimed his heart, but his feet had not yet moved. And just to wrap up that dating story with a bow, uh, Dan has now been happily married for 15 years to that girl's best friend. So... It's fine. Don't overthink it. I want to reread Nehemiah 2.2. He says, So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. If God has given you a kingdom-centric purpose, I may not know any of the details about it, but there's a couple things that I can assume about your purpose if it really is a kingdom-centric purpose. And here's the first. Your kingdom-centric purpose is costly. Jesus never said, keep your life exactly like it is, and then just add me to it, and then we're great. He never said that. Jesus is the one who said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own 
way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Your kingdom-centric purpose is costly. When Nehemiah begins to think about taking that first step, he begins to stare at the price tag of his purpose. And the price tag of his purpose was very large. Everything was safe right now in his life. And when he began to think about what it would be to leave the safety of the palace, the safety of his occupation, to go pursue what God had called him to, there was a large price tag. This could ruin his job. He could lose his family. He could lose his life. And when he sees that price tag, he gets a little nervous about what comes next. If God has called you to something, I promise you, if it is kingdom-centric, it is going to be expensive. It is going to cost you a sacrifice. There is going to be something in your life that you don't want to give up, that you need to give up. And if you have stared at that price tag, you might have felt what Nehemiah felt, and you might have seen and said what Nehemiah said when he said, then I was terrified. And if you feel terrified, you just might get stuck. I think there's another thing happening there. And if I was thinking about your kingdom-centric purpose, I can also assume this. Number two, your kingdom-centric purpose is beyond your ability. If you can do it yourself, God is not interested in being your sidekick. If you walk up to someone and you say, hey, I've got my kingdom-centric purpose and I am going to be great at it, that is not your kingdom-centric purpose. When it was time for God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, he did not send a great politician. He sent a shy guy with a stuttering problem and anger issues because he wanted everyone to know Moses isn't doing this. What you're seeing happen here is beyond his capabilities. I want to make it really clear that God is doing this. When it was time for an Israelite to conquer the Goliath, Goliath the Philistine, he did not send a mighty warrior. He sent a child with a slingshot because he wanted everyone to know David isn't doing this. God is. This is beyond his capabilities. And if God has given you a kingdom-centric purpose, I can promise you it is beyond your abilities. You should not feel like you can do it by yourself because it is not going to happen by yourself. It is with him. And if you have felt that, you might have felt what Nehemiah had felt and you might have said what Nehemiah said when he said, then I was terrified. If you have been in that place, if you have felt stuck, if you have felt like God has given you a dream and yet you do not know how to make the first step, I want the Holy Spirit to use my words tonight to encourage you when I say, God wants to rebuild your confidence. This talk is not about, about having confidence in yourself. This is a message about having a confidence that is grounded in his spirit and in his truth. There's an educator and writer by the name of Brittany Packnett, and uh, she's also the daughter of a preacher, and she wrote about confidence, and this is what she wrote. She said, confidence is the necessary spark before everything else that follows. Confidence is the difference between being inspired and actually getting started. The difference between trying and doing until it's done. 
confidence helps us keep going even when we fail. Something changes in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah goes from being stuck to being unstuck. And I really want to understand how is God rebuilding Nehemiah's confidence? How is this happening? And we're going to read about this in verse 4 through 6 of Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Do you see the change happening here? Because it's happening very quickly. Nehemiah is too terrified to start the conversation. He doesn't bring it up. The king brings it up. It's the king who asks, how can I help you? And what does Nehemiah do? It says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. The guy has been praying and fasting for six months, but when it is go time, what does he do? He throws out one more quick prayer. God, help me. Maybe he didn't even move his lips, but his soul said, if I'm going to take this first step, I will not do it alone. God wants to rebuild your confidence grounded in his spirit. It is Nehemiah's relationship with God that gives him the confidence to take that first step and to ask the first question, Holy Spirit be with me. I can't do this on my own, but with you, with my spirit submitted to yours, anything is possible. Can I share with you two unique examples of, of God's gift to Nehemiah in this encounter that are a little obscure, but I think they're fascinating. So the first one is the way that Nehemiah verbalizes his request. He says, King, if it pleases you, can I go rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried? Which is kind of a strange way to ask. He doesn't say, can I go rebuild Jerusalem? Can I go rebuild the capital city of where the Jewish people used to live? He says, can I rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried? You know, the king doesn't care about the Jewish people. He doesn't care about the city of Jerusalem. But there is a person that the king of Persia cares about. He cares about Nehemiah. And there's also something else the king of Persia cares about. You see, in Persian culture, burial grounds were always sacred. It was always a place that was holy. And so if the king of Persia knew that he would never want his burial ground to be destroyed... And then someone that he cares about tells him that his ancestor's burial ground has been destroyed. It's a very unique, wise path to awaken the compassion of the king of Persia. Now, do we know that Nehemiah knew what he was doing? We don't know, but we know that the Spirit of God knew what was being said. That the Holy Spirit was leading Nehemiah's words in order to awaken the compassion of the Persian king. The other thing that's really unique about this passage is it's very important that it lets us know who's sitting next to the king. It tells us that the king of Persia is sitting there and the queen is sitting right next to them. I don't know for the men in this room who used to be boys, but for me, when I wanted to get a more compassionate response from a parent, I did not go to my dad. I went to my mom. And in this moment, Nehemiah finds this time where there is the marriage balance of a man and a woman in the room to hear this request. Did that affect things? Did that, was it a strategy that he had? 
we don't know, but we know that God knew. And we know that Nehemiah was relying on the Holy Spirit to give him supernatural wisdom walking into this. God wants to rebuild your confidence grounded in his spirit, grounded in that relationship. I took my six-year-old ice skating on Monday. He was having some trouble, and so he uh, came over to me kind of crawling on the ice. I said, hey, hey, bud, come here. And so I grabbed his hand and pulled him up with me, and then we started kind of skating around. I'm not a great skater, but he's like 45 pounds, so he's, he's not going to take me down. And he's, he's got his hand in mine, and the confidence shifts instantly. The fear of falling is instantly gone because his dad has his hand. When I am in relationship with my God, I'm not going to fall because I'm only 45 pounds and he's got me. The situation is in control. This is not a talk about you being confident in you. This is about you building your confidence in his spirit, that you trust him because he is leading you, he is guiding your words, he is guiding your decisions, and when your hand is in his hand, you will not fail. Nehemiah's confidence really gets going now. This is the guy who was too terrified to bring up the subject, and watch what he does next. So verse 7 through 8 says this, I also said to the king, the dude's getting going, right? Again, he couldn't start the conversation. He was too scared. But now he's getting ramped up. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. This is unheard of. I want you to imagine that you're the guy who just got the promotion to be in charge of the king's forest. This is the guy who would have been a Persian man who would have had this great honor to bestow on him to be the head of the king's forest to control where all the wood products went all throughout the country. And then one day a slave boy walks into you and says, I got a piece of paper and I'm now your boss. This is what Nehemiah is asking for. He is a servant of the king, and he says, well, since you said yes to the first request, and since I'm not standing on my own abilities, since I know that my confidence is grounded in his spirit, I'm going to need a few more things. The next few verse explains that the king sent guards. He sent soldiers and workmen with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a changed man from who he was at the beginning of this conversation because his confidence is being rebuilt. There's another thing that I think he's doing here, and I want to extend our sentence here a little bit, that God wants to rebuild your confidence in his spirit and grounded in his truth. In the first chapter, during that time of season where Nehemiah is praying, he does something really unique in his prayer, and I think it's something that we should be doing in our prayers. And in Nehemiah's prayer, he quotes God to God, which sounds like a funny thing because you're thinking, I'm pretty sure God knows what he said. But in his prayer, he says, God, you told this to Moses. I know what your word is. And because I know that your word is always true, then I'm going to believe 
that this is true and that I can stand upon this. So in Nehemiah 1.9, what he's doing, he's actually quoting all the way back from the, from the Pentateuch in the book of Deuteronomy. And that's where he's saying, hey, God, I'm just going to remind you what you told Moses because I'm someone who knows your word. I'm someone who knows your truth. I want to read the passage of Deuteronomy that he's referencing in this prayer. So I want you to think about this. Nehemiah is praying to God, and he's saying, God, I want to bring back up what you said. And he says this, Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 3, in the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses that I have listed for you, and when you're living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, this is hundreds of years before the exile happened, where God makes this promise to Moses about a future exile, an exile that Nehemiah is now living in. Take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all of your heart and all of your soul and all the commands I have given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. We need to know God's word. We need to know his truth. I would highly encourage you to copy what Nehemiah is doing here in his prayer, and that when you are facing temptations or trials, when you are coming before the Lord with requests, when you are seeking after his purpose, quote God to God. Know his word. The truth is about our spirit is that our spirit can be misled. God's spirit is infallible and reliable, but our spirit is human, and it makes a lot of mistakes. This is why our emotions and our, our mind can get twisted and misled, and why it is so important that when we build our confidence, we build our confidence grounded on His truth, and that when you know the Word of God, you can take the actions of your day, and you can line them up against God's Word, and ask yourself the question, are my actions aligned with God's truth? Am I grounded in His truth? Otherwise, your confidence can run off a path. You can run off a path and say, hey, I feel great about this. I, I told myself this, and this is what's going to happen, and I'm great at it, and I'm, I'm confident, and I'm amazing. Well, if your confidence is not grounded in his truth, it's not going to get you very far. In Nehemiah, we're watching his confidence be rebuilt, grounded in his spirit, and grounded in his truth. That's my prayer for you tonight is that when you are stuck, when God has placed a goal in front of you, when he has placed a purpose in front of you, and you don't know how to take that first step, you might feel terrified that God would rebuild your confidence grounded in his spirit and in his truth, and your confidence will grow. One of the things I love about working here at the church is that I get to do a lot of productions and services with people of all ages that we have all the way down from our preschool choir and kids choir, youth choir, adult groups, uh, actors from age five to 90. And we get to do all of these different things. And I love working with those different age groups. If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to secretly share with you uh, the one that's the most challenged for me. And the age group I have the most challenge with is middle schoolers. I'm going to tell you why. There's this thing that happens right after fifth grade. 
I don't know if it's that way when you were a kid, but, but now most students after fifth grade is when they leave elementary school and then they move into, into middle school. And I call this phenomenon uh, the middle school slump. And here's how it works. So in fifth grade, I know some kid, some boy, some girl who's in you know, one of our kids' choir programs. They're in elementary school. And their confidence is just super high. And so they're going to walk through life being like, I'm a singer, or like, I'm a dancer. They know, and it's not just about the art stuff. That I'm, I'm going to be a football player. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be the next president of the United States. And there's something about being at the top of the food chain as a fifth grader that you just feel that authority. Like, I know who I am. I am going to be strong and amazing and beautiful, and everything is going to be green and roses, and I am good. And then this, like, dark, twisty thing happens between age 12 and 13. They suddenly show up in a youth group. They're in sixth grade, and they speak the words of Nehemiah. Then I was terrified. And I watched 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds have what I quietly call the middle school slump. Where then in a very short time period after that, they're looking in the mirror going, who am I? I'm not a singer. And I'll be like, hey, you were amazing six months ago when you were like on stage, I'm a singer. And then you're like, hey, would you sing for me? And they're like, (laughs) some of us need to get out of our middle school slump. What happens with a lot of middle school students is then somewhere around 14 or 15, God begins to refine some of that in them. And those who are determined, those who are in a safe home environment, those who have a kingdom-centric purpose will then begin to come out of that about 14 and 15, and they'll go, I'm going to be a worship leader. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a preacher, and their confidence will now regrow with a new level of certainty, with a larger maturity. And I know that happens to middle schoolers a lot, but I think it happens to adults too, that we get in those places in life where we just get stuck. And we can be standing there saying, God, I I see this thing, but I'm just, I'm a little scared to say it out loud. And I want to pray with you tonight that God will grow your confidence, grounded in his spirit and grounded in his word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this night. I thank you that you see every single person who's walked in the door tonight. There might be a person in this room and no one else in this room may know their name, but you know their name and you watch them walk in this door and you have been a shepherd to their thoughts over the last hour. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. I pray that everyone in this room would feel seen tonight. Lord, as you reveal your purpose to us, I pray also that you would rebuild our confidence. I pray that you would give us the faith of a child. I pray that you would teach us to trust you with a a new level of wholeheartedness. I pray that you would teach us to step out in faith with a new level of bravery. We love you. We thank you, God. And I pray that you would do that work in us. I pray that you would go with every single person who leave this room tonight. I pray that you would continue to give them strength. Help us as we grow in our relationship with you. We need you. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.